This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning. Welcome to The Garden Show. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of the garden. And on the phone line, direct and live, of course, from (laughs) Prince Edward County in her home, there's Charlie Dobbin. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frankie. How you doing? I'm doing fine, thanks very much. Um, I, I do have a, a little note here that I just wanted to address off the top from <laughs> Evelyn Gray, who sent you a little memo saying, uh, wondering if there's any way that Frank can show us the pictures that your listeners attach to the email questions. Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I just, yeah, unless they could get into the studio with you and look at the computer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a little, a little tough to do, but good idea, Evelyn. Yeah, I should check with the, the technicians like Carlos and be absolutely sure that I'm saying no, uh, and we'll maybe address that later. Anyway, what's going on to your place? Well, it's another sunny day in paradise, I'll tell you. Oh, beautiful day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm being a bit sarcastic because, boy, oh boy, we could use some water. (laughs) Oh, you haven't had any rain in your area at all? No, no, well, I shouldn't say that. We had, count them, I think seven drops yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, we, we had a little bit more rain than that a couple of days ago, but it has been a, a bit of a drought now, uh, for a couple yeah. anyway, for sure. I, I know. it. Yeah, something. I'm just in this little pocket. I think we have a dome over top of where we live, and it just the rain always seems to go around us. Okay. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's beautiful, but, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge, this uh, planting trees and shrubs and lawns and then trying to keep them alive because it's just it's so stressful being so hot and so dry and windy all the time though it's not windy today i'll say that okay uh let me give the phone numbers here and such and and then i want to come back and talk to you because next week i Mm. hope it's going to be a red letter day and uh, (laughs) well i'll get to that in a moment first of all if you'd like to ask a question of charlie by all means give a call to the call uh, number here in toronto 416-360 Zero seven forty, anywhere in the province. Of course, it's toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. If you happen to be a first time caller, let Carlos, our operator, know. He will pass that word along to me, and you're going to be uh, welcomed to the airwaves with our little uh, bell there. Okay, uh, first time yeah. caller bell. And oh yeah, uh, call early, call often. One question per call. <laughs> All right, otherwise, Patrolman Proctor gets on the bike and, tra- and tracks you down. Well, Charlie, next week could be a day that I'll sit beside you in the studio. Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot going on. And as you know, I have been doing the show from my office in uh, Prince Edward County. Yeah. But next weekend is Father's Day weekend. It's also Elliot's uh, 70th birthday, um, just right after the weekend. So I thought, you know what, I will, I, I'd like to bring my children here. 
And the only way I can do that is to pick them up. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and do the show with you, and I'll pick up my kids and bring them out to the county. It will be so good to see you, my friend. Really, I will. Know. Okay. I think it was like before Christmas, I think, the last yeah. time we saw each other. It was a long time ago. Oh, my gosh. I think sometime in October, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, oh, well, yeah. uh, you have a, a few notes, I think, from the uh, Garden Club yeah, out there. The I do. Uh, well, the Alliston Garden Club did send me a, a notice. Yep. way back in March, of what their spring events were. So according to this notice, uh, June 22nd, so that would be next Tuesday, mm-hmm. the Alliston Garden Club is hosting their general meeting and flower show. They have Dan Balfour and Mark Robertson presenting the harvesting and saving of seeds, which could be uh, very timely and good information because, you know, so many people are are gardening these days, and uh, certainly buying seeds is less expensive than buying plants, but um, harvesting and saving seeds and and swapping seeds is even um, more affordable, if you will. Um, So for more information, contact Alliston Garden Club 1925 at gmail.com. Okay, you know, we better push along here because we've got phone lines that are lit up already, <laughs> uh, jammed with callers just anxious to fire a question at you. So let's take a little bit of a break here, let you refill your coffee cup, <laughs> and we'll come back and attack those. We will contact those yeah, questions. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course we will. <laughs> here on the Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, let's wander off to Waterford where Jerry is patiently waiting in the line there. Good morning, Jerry. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. Okay, you need to help me out of my dilemma. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, two hydrangeas, um, and next to them I have two beautiful barberries that are trying to push the ger- <laughs> hydrangeas out of the garden. <laughs> and I've got room about a foot on both sides um, of the hydrangeas, can can I, am I too late, can I move them over just about a foot to get them away from the, uh, the uh, barberries? Well, well, I guess there's so many different kinds of hydrangeas and kinds of barberry. I, to move something only a foot ultimately is not very far if they're really too close now, depending on what varieties you're growing. Um, yeah. You don't know, do They've you? They've been what in kind there of- for about eight years now, all four. Okay, then, then it, so I would say it is too late to, that's a fair, that's a fairly long time. So, uh, so you can move either hydrangeas or barberry. I would do it early in the spring or later in the fall. I wouldn't do it now. It's just too hot. Too okay. hot, too dry. That's what I thought. Um, yeah, they're too developed. It would be very, very hard on them because you're always going to leave roots behind when you transplant. But, but like I say, eight, a, a foot is not a very big distance. And some of the hydrangeas, you know, eight feet tall, eight feet wide. Some of the barberries, you know, six feet tall, six feet wide. So, yeah, give lots of space if you can. You, so you can really enjoy the beauty of both of them. I mean, they're great plants. I love them, and I keep trimming the Barbary back, but he just keeps getting bigger. I think he likes the idea that I trim him back. Yeah, so many plants do. They're quite invigorated by some pruning. (laughs) (laughs) So I've given up on trying to keep them under control, so I thought maybe if I just moved the hydrangeas over a foot, that would sort of solve the problem. 
Well, it might. I mean, you, you know better than me what you're looking at there. Um, it's just a foot doesn't seem like very much, that's all. And, and you're right. Sometimes I, you do have to really, oh, maybe can you enlarge the garden at all and maybe make it more like a two-foot uh, move? Or uh, No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you'll, you'll do what you got to do, but yes. Sometimes we have to trim to keep things under control forever and ever because we don't have the room and we love the plants too much. Uh, and then sometimes we can, um, you know, give them the right spacing. I see it all the time. I mean, I've got neighbors here, young couple across the street. They planted tomatoes, I think, the first time ever. And the guy, the gentleman across the street, he must have 30 tomatoes, and each of them is like 16 inches away from the next one. And it's like, oh. whoa. Yeah, he'll learn. <laughs> Thanks for the call, yeah. Jerry. Hope that so do it in the fall, early in the fall? Yeah, September. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Uh, All right. Thank you very following. much. Have a great day, you two. Thank, thank you very you. much. Appreciate it. Sun is shining in, in the Toronto area, certainly. I hope the same is the case for you, Charlie. Yes, indeed. I'm telling you, the sun always shines here. So well, there feels like that. <laughs> All right. Have a note here from Muriel Moynes. Says, uh, enjoy your garden show Saturday mornings. Uh, I live in Bowmanville, and my garden problem is with a hydrangea, Annabelle. Some of the leaves curl upwards and seal together. I've opened the leaves up and discovered some dark substance and a very, very tiny worm. Any suggestions on a remedy for this problem? Hmm. Yeah, we, we've actually had this question before, but it's such a common problem. I thought it was worth repeating. Um, so that's an insect. It's called a hydrangea leaf tear, so T-I-E-R, or a leaf binder is another way, another name for this insect, because it does just that, right? It binds two leaves together, stitches the leaves together. So the eggs are laid in the spring or fall on the tips of the stems of the hydrangea. Uh, When they hatch, that's when they do this little silky thread uh, sewing together of the two leaves, and they make themselves a nice little hotel there, a nice little shelter. They feed inside that little shelter for about 10 days uh, and then um, move on to the next stage of their life cycle. Now, they're not going to kill the plants. I mean, we love our hydrangeas. We're not going to lose the plants, but we may lose some flowers because, of course, that's where the flowers are forming is up on those tips where those little insects are eating. So one suggestion is cut, always remember, cut down the hydrangeas like the Annabelle's to about... 10 centimeters or four inches tall uh, in the spring, in early spring, uh, particularly if you've had this problem. So if you're having this problem now, next spring, remember, you're cutting your hydrangeas right down to four inches tall. That will help eliminate some eggs. Um, You can also open up, like unstitch the leaves if you don't have too many hydrangeas and too many little bugs. Open it up. Get those little bugs out and squish them. Um, And then the other thing is early in the spring, BT, it's a, it's an insecticide we're talking about a lot right now because of the gypsy moth problem. So BT uh, can be sprayed on the hydrangeas before the leaves are closed, before they're sewn up. And uh, BT is a bacterial spray that goes on the surface of the leaves. When the little insects hatch and start chewing the leaves, the uh, leaves will be poisonous to those bugs and they will die. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I'd indicated we have a couple of uh, callers Mm -hmm. from the Kitchener area. The first is Harry, who is on the line with us right now. Hi, good morning, Harry. Welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning to you guys. Good morning. 
Look, I've been growing lupins for maybe 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. I, I've been bringing seeds back from uh, PEI and Nova Scotia and that whole area where they just, they're wild. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're yeah. all over the place. Anyway, the long and the short is that on these main stems that the flowers would be growing on, there's all these tiny little white bugs, thousands of them. I've used the sulfur's uh, soap spray, mm-hmm. and I've used heavy-duty spray from the hose. It knocks them down for a while. The next day, they're all back again. So I have two or three flowers this year where I usually have about 25 or 30. Mm-hmm. So how do you get rid of these little white bugs? How do you get rid of these things? Well, I guess I have to figure out what they are. Um, so they're on the stems. They're not up on the, the tips of the where the flowers are at all. They're on the whole stem from the, the bottom right up to the top where the flower is supposed to form. And they're on the other branches as well, but not as heavy. Huh. Hmm. Okay, so um, I'm just, and you said they're white. I'm just looking quickly because I'm sitting in front of my computer. Uh, there is such a thing as a lupin aphid. But yes. and so, so you tried soap, but of course you know how soap works with insects. You have to coat each insect with Oh, the yeah, I, I yeah. do. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah, co- yeah. coat the whole stem. The unfortunate thing is that it, it doesn't, you know, the plant that's, itself doesn't like that either. No. Well, that's what I was going to say. Well, if you're going to use soap as an insecticide on your plants, you never do it on a hot, sunny day. You do any soap spray very early, like sunrise, sunset, no wind, <clears throat> and temperatures below, preferably below about, you know, 25 yeah, degrees. You and can lower. do that 25 times, though, Charlie, and they yeah. come back the next day. Yeah. Okay, so... um so they're very specific. It says here, first week in June, small numbers of aphids. There's 5,000 species of aphids in the world. But, of course, there's one very specific to lupins. <laughs> yep. um, and, um, this has only and, been happening the last two years, three years. Yeah. So um, it does say here, ladybird beetles do not eat lupin aphids. <clears throat> so there's parasitoid wasps. You can get some of okay. those. You don't know any other chemicals I should try, though. I guess. Uh, well, for aphids, soap is really the best. I mean, Bug Be Gone is a pyrethrin-based insecticide. I've so tried that, that as well, man. Yeah, and that, yeah, and that, that doesn't pretty much work. what you've got. Okay, leave that with me if I can think of anything else, or if anybody who's listening has any thoughts and gives us a call or sends me an email, I'll definitely share that with you, Harry. Uh, by okay. this, at this moment, I, yeah, soap and, and um, pyrethrin insecticides are your best yeah. bet. And, of yeah. course, stress, keeping... Um, plants happy and stress-free will also help avoid things like aphids. Well, these have been in the same place, as I said, and, and yeah. flourishing for years. Good. Well, and do you, talk, do you provide like a supplement to the soil, organic matter, compost, that sort of thing in the spring? Well, a little bit. Yes, I do. Okay, good, because it's a good idea. That's, I mean, if they've been there for years, particularly the soil could be depleted of some of its good quality. Well, in their own home land uh, yeah. down east along the water shores and stuff like that, they're into everything. It Bravo, doesn't matter what they're in. There's weeds and crap and, and you name it, garbage, <laughs> and they grow right through everything, and they're flourishing. I know, but they, it's different there. They've got the salt air there. We don't have here, you know. Like that's right. It, that's what yeah. they like—the salt air. That's right. So you, you're not—you're—you've taken away the salt air. You got to give something back, right? I know, <laughs> but I've—I've I've been doing this for ten, 
Well, as I said, 12, 14 yeah, years, yeah, but yeah. it's only been the last two, three years that this has been happening. Okay, you know what, Harry? I'm going to ask you to hang, hang you. tight. Just keep yeah. listening, because yeah, as Charlie it. indicated, there might be somebody out there who has a solution yep. for you. And we often get tips from, from folks, and that's part of the joy of doing this show, uh, of welcoming uh, some information yep. from listeners. So just hang tight, okay? Thanks, Charlie. All right. Thank care. you very much. Thank In you, fact, Harry. Speaking of tips, uh, Karen Whittington sends in a darn good suggestion here. She mm-hmm. says, good morning, Charlie. I take the new soil and place, and this is uh, to um, sterilize. Uh, sterilize, right. She takes uh, new soil and places a large amount in a microwave safe bowl and microwaves it until it steams, three to four minutes. So I sterilize it as I need it. I also do this with last year's deck pots to reuse the soil. And this tip can help others if it can. That'd be great. So that's from Karen Lakeshore Road just west of Dunville, Ontario. Yeah, and Frank, um, that this <clears throat> tip, I think, was really sent in in response to last week when Evelyn called about potting soils. Right. And I, and I did a big lecture on, on <laughs> what are potting soils. So I, it's a good point that Karen makes. You know, if you are concerned that there's anything living in a, a bag that should be sterile, like a potting mix or a soilless mix, mm-hmm. you can sterilize. Uh, off the web, it says about two cups of moist potting soil in a bowl or microwave bag, open, left open, microwave on high, two and a half minutes. So same idea as what Karen was saying. So, yeah, good tip. Thanks for that. Okay, yeah, you betcha. Um, I'd indicated we had uh, uh, another caller from Kitchener. Indeed we do. So let's go to the line here and say hi to Kathy in Kitchener. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Hi, thank you. Um, I have some African violet plants that I've just acquired. They are at least 20 years old, possibly 25, 30 years old. They were my mom's pride and joy, but she's been gone for 12 years, and my dad's been looking after them and can no longer do it. They're, I'm wondering if I can resurrect them. Like, there are so many layers of leaves mm-hmm. around them. Um, there are, it almost looks like carrots for the stem coming out. It's mm-hmm. so thick. Mm-hmm. And and they're drooping over, and I would just like to, kind of in memory of my mom, resurrect yeah. them if possible. Well, I can tell you right off the top of my head that there is something called the uh, African Violet Society, or I think it might even be called St. Paulia, which is what African Violet's real name is. Okay. So E-P-A-U-L-I-A. Uh, okay. Actually, I'm saying it might be S-A-I-N-T. Hold on, I'm just checking here. Oh, yeah, it is. It's S. Oh, one word, Saint S-A-I-N-T, Paulia, one word. Uh, yeah, there's really good information on their website. So mm-hmm. one of the things that happens if we let African violets just grow and grow and grow, like you said, it's like a carrot. The, the yeah. stem gets long and contorted because lower mm-hmm. leaves are always dying and new leaves are always coming out on the top. Right. So, um, so, you know, just some of the, the secrets to success, they're pretty easy plants in regular room temperature. They do like a bright spot, but they don't want hot southern or western sun beating down on them. So mm-hmm. windows are nice. South window in the winter or if you have shears, uh, just to protect from too much sun. Right. And you want to keep them moist, but mm-hmm. if you keep them too moist, you'll overwater them. So you have to always feel the surface of the soil. You mm-hmm. want the surface to feel dry to your touch, and mm-hmm. then you will water at that point. So it, it, it'll still have some springiness, the, the potting mix, but it won't be moist on the surface. And, of course, we always water from below. We never get the leaves wet because right. they don't like that. 
and high humidity is important. So you'll make yourself a pebble tray using a cookie sheet. You'll put pebbles in the tray you know, or, or something like a cookie sheet with pebbles. <clears throat> Sit all the little African violet pots on top of the gravel, and you'll keep water in that tray at all times. And as that water evaporates around the plant, that will help a lot for the wintertime when our humidity levels are so low inside uh-huh. our houses. You are going to need to repot, and so you're going to learn all about repotting if you go to the, the St. Paulia Society. Right. And they're probably going to tell you that when it's that old and that, you know, big of a stem, they're going to suggest um, propagating, and you're going to use leaves to start new plants. But if you insist on keeping those plants, that's fine, too. It's just a matter of getting the, you know, cleaning up, freshening up mm-hmm. the soil, maybe getting a bigger pot. So, so take a look there, and it'll give you all kinds of good information. Oh, okay. That's great. Thank you kindly. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay. okay have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me repeat Charlie, uh, her phone number, no, her phone number, good heavens, uh, email <laughs> yeah, address. Me. There you go. It's <laughs> c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, <laughs> at mzmedia.com. And that's how we've been contacted, or at least uh, Charlie has been contacted, a lovely lady by the name of Rosemary, who said, last week... <laughs> I'm having a tough time here. Last year, <laughs> there was no bindweed in my backyard. This year, there are about 40 or so plants in the northeast corner of the yard. How can I get rid of these? She said, my previous home, I had bindweed and pulled for decades without much success. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we know what bindweed is, right? It's, it's like, it looks like a morning glory. It is same genus as morning glory, so convolvulus. Uh, but it's considered a small flowered morning glory. It gets as little tiny white flowers. It does propagate by seed and by roots. So suddenly, um, there's uh, she's seeing uh, rosemary, seeing uh, um, you know forty plants. Some seed has dropped, or a neighbor has had a plant that went to flower, or something has grown in you know into her yard. So it's not easy to get rid of. It is a very very a noxious but also very very tough plant if you've got um bindweed growing in your walkway or driveway you can quite easily use uh the horticultural vinegar that is out there uh, or make up your own mix with vinegar a little bit of salt a little bit of soap and spray and kill if you're only spraying in the driveway or walkway you wouldn't use a spray like that if you're got bindweed in your lawn or your garden though Okay. So what do you do if it's in your lawn or garden? Two real things you can do. One is keep digging, like like she says. It's, she pulls for decades. Uh, the other is the old tarpaulin, the solarization. You you put plastic, whether it's clear plastic or dark plastic, over top of that patch, and you annihilate the plant by suffocating it and baking it in the sun. And you will have to leave that plastic there for good. At this time of year, good six to eight weeks, and it's the the um, bindweed should die. And you've got to keep that plastic right tight to the ground with stones all around, I guess. Hey. Exactly. Yeah. You don't want any light or water or air or anything getting in there. You want to, you want to really just bake those plants. And, right. of course, everything else that's under the plastic will get baked, too. Okay. You know, plants, oh, and plants. Rosemary, uh, I love the little quotation you included yeah, from Thomas Jefferson. In matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. I love that. I knew. I saw that, too. I like it. Yep. Okay. Uh, back to the phone lines now to say hi to Lorraine calling in from Cambridge. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Hi. Um, I have 
um, a, a thread leaf um, Japanese maple, and it's just doing beautifully. But the, the bottom leaves, uh, the branches are drooped right over, and they're touching the ground. Should I trim that off so that it won't... Um, touch the ground will that harm it at all and also they've got ground cover underneath there mm-hmm. um dead nettle and uh mm-hmm. um something right. else i forget yeah. now mm-hmm. um and as i want i was wondering i was thinking of tr- taking all that away and putting uh pine bark nuggets and is that would that be okay yeah, all of those are good ideas, and the idea of trimming is a good one as well. Because remember, when a plant, a weeping plant, uh, it's when its um, leaves and stems hit the ground, it it doesn't really do it any favors. Because in the wind, of course, the, the leaves get all sh- tattered. Right. And, and in your case, of course, where you want some ground cover to thrive, you, you you'll have that competition. The two things will be bumping into each other. So and it, so it's never ultimately going to be a good thing. I would. Get in there, get in underneath, look up in the stem of the plant. There might be some, some dead branches from past years that nothing is growing on. Get those out and for sure trim the plant up so that it is you know, just above the ground. It will grow this year probably as much as three or four inches. So every spring, trim it so it's kind of six inches above the ground, and then it'll just grow down through the season but not actually hit the ground. Okay, thank you. Now, I also have something to tell you. Um, this spring, I had something grow in my garden, and I didn't really know what it was. But as the days progressed, lo and behold, I have a whole crop of leaf lettuce that I didn't plant. <laughs> However, I do grow lettuce in a raised bed on um, legs, and each year I dump the soil into my garden that's been used, and I guess it's just seeded, and where, here I am with a whole crop. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah, so the, the lettuce from last year went to seed, and the seeds survived the winter. Yes, yeah, amazing. That's great. Well, there you go. I love it. Good story. <laughs> I've been giving it away to all the neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Not for only calling for everybody. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you. Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks for calling. All righty. Uh, I have a note here, uh, and this is a, 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 another funny response uh, you note here uh, to your diatribe last week about potting soil. says, uh, and this is from Charmaine, thanks for the clarification of the things that are added to the potting soil. In the winter, I opened a bag of soil to add some of my pots and noticed the small balls. I thought maybe it was fertilizer or some bug eggs. I put the bags in the garage and planned to open them in the sun to see what will happen. And I had to laugh at myself a few minutes ago when you said what the small balls were. And that's, it's a fertilizer, right? Mm-hmm. Those little, little balls. Yeah. Good stuff. I know. People, yeah, they do worry. They like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Looks, looks horrible. All right. Uh, back to our phone lines now. Mabel on the line from Caledonia. Good morning, Mabel. I'm Frank. It's a beautiful day. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. My question is about clematis. Uh, my, I have about 14 clematis. I only have one that's causing me trouble. I've had one before, but it's the one next to this one. Uh some of the leaves are turning almost a coppery brown color and turning uh, in towards one another. There doesn't seem to be any bugs on it whatsoever, but there's just two or three of the branches that uh, look as if they're dying. Hmm. It sounds like you may have a disease called clematis wilt. Are the, are the leaves hanging like they look wilted? Yes. Yeah. 
So what, what do you recommend to use for that? Well, right now there's not a lot you can do. What happens is it's a, it's a soil-borne disease. So, um, and what happens is in the spring when we're trimming or in the spring when we're cultivating or, you know, working in the garden, yep. we do a little bit of damage. Clematis or clematostems are very, very brittle. So if we just move them the wrong way, we can put a little crack in the, in the stem, and then the stem is open to this fungus getting into the plant and, uh, and causing wilt. It doesn't usually kill the entire plant. It's been a while since I looked this one up. So no, I, I, I did have it in the one plant once before next to this one. Yeah. So, I mean, it didn't. And, and it's doing wonderful this year. It doesn't even have it. There you go. That's my point. It's not one of those. Um, it, it's not one of those things that it kills plants. It's just. It, it's sort of different every year. So one thing you can do is you can go in very carefully with your pruners, and you can. This is often recommended. Is you remove the stems from ground level if you can possibly do that. Uh, that are showing this wilt, but often we end up doing more damage than than anything else when we do that. Uh, so we, we cause more damage to the healthy stems and more wilt cause, you know, gets in, into the plant. Um, I'm just looking. I have the Bible in my hand. It's called Making the Most of Clematis by Raymond J. Everson. Uh, and like I say, this is the Clematis Bible. Uh, really, really good book if you're a clematis grower. So he's just talking about wilt, fungus, uh, healthy plant suddenly collapses. But only a small part of a plant is affected sometimes, though the entire plant can be affected. Uh, so there's not much research to find a cure, and only preventative action can be taken. Hmm. Um, so if I just uh, went in and uh, snipped these off that uh, yeah. are starting to curl That's uh, right. carefully, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it, it might uh, delay the development further. That's right. That's what you want. You want to remove... See, the fungus is inside those stems that are showing the wilt. So what you want to do is you want to remove that fungus from your garden. And by doing that, you'll remove the plant material from your garden and, you know, right into the garbage, not the composter, and uh, get it off the property. So, And you want to do that just to stop the spread of that fungus within that plant or any others. So, yeah, if you can get down, like I said, and remove those stems, that's what I would do. Good luck with all of that. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, we're just running a little over I time. I just have one comment. I wanted to thank uh, Charlie, if I might. Uh, I've called a a couple of different years about uh, gardenia trees, and uh, if one year I had scale, and last year I had those little tiny white uh, fluffy... Oh, mealybugs, yeah. Mealybugs on it. Mm -hmm. I have one this year that's absolutely gorgeous. It has about 21 buds on it, and Mm -hmm. right now I have seven uh, flowers out. Nice. Okay, good so, for you. You I'm have sorry. a good day. And Thank you. We have to I push along. every week. Thank you. <laughs> we're, we're way over time for that segment, <laughs> so we have to take a break here right away and come back with more questions and comments here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. 
exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey, Charlie, uh, we're going international now. Let's go across the border to Hamlin, New York. Joan on the line. Good morning, Joan. Good morning. I'm thrilled to get through, and I'm sure my daughter is thrilled, too. She just bought a house. It has beautiful flowers, a beautiful flower bed. But she has a problem. She has bishop's weed. And they say there is nothing to kill it off. They've been digging it up, and they say that if you leave a little root in there, it'll come back. Do you have any ideas on how to get rid of it other than digging it up all the time? Okay, sorry. So you're calling something bishop weed. That's right. A lot about common names, right? So in New York, you call it bishop weed. In Ontario, we call it goat weed. I'm sorry, what? Uh, the, the the weed you're talking about is uh, bishop weed is called goat weed here in Ontario. Oh, so, so the proper name is agapodium. It is a very very difficult weed to get rid of, and it's unfortunate that is it is actually still planted. Um, if sometimes it, you know what we like about it is it grows in the shade and it grows very vigorously and it can be quite ornamental. But it's so invasive, it just takes over the entire property. So right. if you can keep it in a controlled spot, it can, you know, like say you've got a narrow space between two houses and it's quite dark and nothing grows there, that would grow there. Agapodium will grow there and it's controlled between the houses. But to have it out in the garden is a really big problem. And there is no easy way to get rid of it. It, it does have roots that can go down as deep as 18 inches. And it is... Um, it's, I'm just looking here if there's anything new on the, the web. I don't think so because it's just not a nice plant. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's a takeover plant. <laughs> hmm. Well, uh, digging. Digging, much- solarizing, right? That Remember I, I mentioned earlier in the show the, the um, plastic tarpaulin over top of plants that we yeah. do not want in our gardens? We can bake them and kill them with uh, tarpaulins. With, it's called solarizing. In New York, you could use a herbicide like Roundup, but it will only work early in the spring when the plants are just young and just poking up through the ground. You have to have leaves there, obviously, to spray, but you want them young and soft and, you know, fresh. And things like Roundup would work as well. I would say it should work, but probably wouldn't work now. Okay. Uh, Barb, just a question. Are you a first-time caller? Hello, Barb? Yes. Yeah, are you a first-time caller? Yes, I am. Well, son of a gun, I wanted to get you the ring. <laughs> and your wings. Yeah, and don't be a stranger. I'm sorry, maybe we weren't that much help. We weren't that much help, <laughs> says Charlie. Thank I you. wish I could be more help. Yeah, yeah but in some cases, it's just the black plastic um, yeah. over over top of the, the stuff to or bake it all. toxic herbicides. Yeah. Okay. It's called gout weed because it was used as a medicinal herb to treat gout and arthritis. Right. Uh, we're uh, running out of time again in this segment, so let's take our final break in the show. Come back and say hi to Barb in Aiton, Ontario, here on The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. This is Zoomer Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM, owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. 
This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey, you know, Charlie, we've been all over the place this morning, including Hamlin, New York. Oh, well, let's go to Aiton, Ontario. There's Barb on the line. Good morning, Barb. Oh, good morning, Charlie and Frank. Um, I was just wondering if you would have any suggestions for attracting hummingbird uh, birds. I have three feeders out. I put them out. Um, I actually, I think it was Mother's Day that I started, and I've, I've changed the solution because of the heat. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. But I still don't uh, seem to get any. <laughs> okay, so Barb, you've got it because of the heat, but even without the heat, you've got to change the solution every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did the same thing. Like I use Sunday as my day to put out fresh food for the hummingbirds. Uh-huh. You, you make your own sugar water. With just hot water, four, four waters to four waters to one white sugar. It's got to be white sugar. Yeah, uh, that's and, and that goes out. And then you know what? Any plant, any plants that have orange or red trumpet-shaped flowers uh-huh. are very attractive to hummingbirds. So honeysuckle, they love honeysuckle. Trumpet vine, which becomes a very large invasive vine sometimes, but trumpet yeah. vine is a veritable hummingbird magnet. Um, if you have a tropical hibiscus that you could take outside for the summer with red flowers, hummingbirds will come to that. So, um, yeah, anything orange, anything red, bright, uh, hummingbirds will be very attracted. I even do red begonias, and I find the, the, the hummingbirds are attracted. They, they can't do much with the begonias, but they certainly are interested in come check them out. So that is what I would suggest, and do change your solution every seven days minimum. Okay. Like, is it too late uh, no. for, to attracting them now? Because they, uh, they, people say they have their places where they go. and or, um, Yeah, they move from the south up to the north uh, in the spring and then back south before winter. And they will stop along the way and they will stay places if they find what they're looking for. So hard to say. It might be too late this year, but then again, you might have neighbors that are effectively feeding them, and all you're going to do is uh, attract them to your place as well. So I wouldn't give up. Uh, keep keep it going. If you don't if you don't see anything for the next couple of weeks, then wait till August and start again. Maybe you'll catch them on their way south. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Thanks Barb. for calling. Hey, Frank. Yeah. Uh, we had a call from Harry in Kitchener yeah. wondering about those little bugs on his lupins. So assuming Harry is still listening, Harry and anybody else who's interested, go to a website that's called West Coast Seeds. The one word, West Coast Seeds. Once you go there, go to the little search engine and type in lupin aphids, and you will find a blog um, article from June 2018, and it's quite interesting. It shows some excellent photographs of exactly what I think Harry is dealing with. And uh, it's, it's basically saying there's no easy answer. They're, you know, it's mm-hmm. insects doing their thing, the cycle of life with insects. But at least so, it explains the problem. It explains it, and I think when he sees the pictures, he'll go, that's exactly what I've got. Okay. Uh, I hope we've got time enough to squeeze this call in from Lorraine from Cambridge. I Now you're back for the second time, right? That's right. Um, Good um, for you. I have a Japanese variegated willow. It's Mm -hmm. growing huge. It's just beautiful. It's Mm -hmm. got, like, the the leaves that are white, green, and pink. Okay, um... It's five years old, and I'm wondering if I could cut it right back and move it, and how big are the roots? 
oh, well, it's a willow, so you can do just about anything to it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I wouldn't do it now. No, it's no, I wouldn't. It's too hot. But no, absolutely. You could, you, I would cut that. On principle, I would cut that plant back every spring as much as you want. I mean, within reason. Uh, but you can be pretty hard early in the spring. What we love about that plant is the new growth is just so festive. It's so bright and cheerful. I know. And, um, and you, when you move it, you will be obviously damaging roots. So just be prepared. Put you know have a, a hole prepared to put it into and move it on when it's not too hot. So you could do it in the spring or do it in the fall. Uh, and at, that, at the time when you're moving it, I would cut it back for sure. Then how can I cut it right to ground? Uh, oh, is it a shrub form? You can. If you're going to cut it right to ground, I'd probably wait to do that in the spring, and oh, yeah. I would first get it established in its new location. So give it, cut it back by a third when you move it, let it live a whole season in the new location, uh, smaller than it is now, and then the following spring, you can go right down to ground. It's about 15 feet wide. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it is beautiful, though. All right, thanks very much. <laughs> okay, Lorraine. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for guesting with us twice on the show. That's neat. Yeah, smart. Lorraine is very clever. Call early, call often. Call early, call often. And then she did. All righty. You know, uh, we have to kind of close up shop in about a minute and a half. I hope that uh, next weekend, of course, Father's Day and also Elliot's 70th birthday. So that might mean that you're going to be in studio, Charlie. That's when. That sounds great. That's the plan. I'm gonna instead of me watching you on the web, I'm gonna see you live and in person <laughs> right. next Excellent. Saturday. I'll be able to show you my socks. My I can uh, see. I can see socks. your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you like that one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's very nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's all good. So, um, all right. And so we'll touch base. I do want to mention that everybody's got to stay on top of these gypsy moths. Uh, gypsy moth caterpillars. They're they're wreaking havoc and causing lots of problems. So. Keep your eyes peeled, and I've had a few emails, and we'll certainly address this right off the top next week. Uh, but keep your eyes peeled and get out there and squish. Very good. Oh, <laughs> I wanted to make mention of, uh, we were talking about bird feeders a lot this morning. Um, our bird feeder at home, Shirley and I, uh, you know who our most frequent guest is? A raccoon. Red, no, no, well, yeah, at night if I forget to bring it in. Uh, but red-winged blackbirds. Oh, they, interesting. They are the, the uh, I'd say, out of ten visits, eight of them would be by a red-winged huh. blackbird. Isn't that wow. something, huh? Yeah. It is. I think of them more as being out in open fields, and you're so much in the forest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, it's the pond, I think, too, that right. attracts them, all the marshy uh, reeds and that sort of thing. Anyway, my friend, uh, we got to wrap things up, and uh, I see the guys from Dave's Corner Garage here, Alan and all the rest. Oh, nice. Say hi to them for me. Will do. And let don't you let do that them run next you over. <laughs> okay. Have a good one, Charlie. Thanks, Frankie. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to the great callers. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.